The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Between 1692 and 1693, hundreds of people were accused of practicing witchcraft, the devil's magic, and 20 were executed in Salem Village, Massachusetts, right where the present-day city of Danvers, Massachusetts now sits. Danvers, incidentally, would later be the home of a horrible place known as the Danvers Lunatic Asylum, a Kirkbride Plan Asylum later known as the Danvers Hospital for the Criminally Insane, inspiration for H.P. Lovecraft's horror story, Arkham Sanitarium, which in turn inspired Batman's Arkham Asylum. What a dark history this little area of Massachusetts has. And it was at its darkest in the late 17th century when scores of early Puritan settlers were accused, arrested, and put on trial to determine if they were an actual witch. Can you imagine that? That's like not only being accused of being a vampire, but actually put in jail and given a trial overseen by community leaders to determine if you are in fact something that is impossible to be. And then in some cases, be put to death for crimes you couldn't commit. Being tried for being a witch makes about as much sense as being tried for raping a unicorn. But it happened, and people died. So let's go colonial. Let's go supernatural. Let's get puritanically paranoid right now on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Greetings, Time Suckers. Welcome to this special 900 iTunes review, Friday bonus edition of The Suck. I'm Dan Cummins, and this is Time Suck. So excited for this episode. Man, it's really exciting. It's one of my favorite topics we've done so far. Had so much fun doing the research. One of those stories you just can't actually believe uh, happened until you read about it. It's so surreal. It's going to be a really fun ride today. Uh, thoughts continue to go out to Florida, Texas, Georgia, 
other other places where time suckers have been affected by hurricanes harvey and irma hope you all are recovering and getting through a really nasty couple of weeks uh and again you can, like american red cross is, is a good place to donate uh on the previous few episodes episode descriptions you can find links to uh, uh donations uh for both of those hurricanes for victims of both of those hurricanes. Thanks to the time suckers uh, for getting those new time suck hats in the shop. Uh, so happy with how those came out. Also four different shirts for, uh, you know, also four hats to choose from. You get stickers with each purchase. Got a really, a really proper time suck store now going at timesuckpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to come see me live at the Columbus funny bone, Columbus, Ohio, uh, I'll, I'll have more shows there this weekend, September 15th through 17th. Hollywood, California improv on October 5th for the first ever live podcast stand up show at the Hollywood Improv October 7th with Jimmy Wisman and James Petragallo, the guys from Small Town Murder and Crime and Sports, Helium in Portland, Oregon, October 12th to the 14th, Parlor Live in Bellevue, just outside Seattle, October 15th, one night only in Seattle, October 15th, Bananas Comedy Club in Hosbrock Heights, New Jersey, just outside Manhattan, October 20, 21st, more dates coming soon. New Time Sucker updates at the end of this episode, a lot of info regarding, uh, you know, the possibility that 9-11 may have been an inside job, a theory I perhaps discounted too quickly uh, based on the emails of many of you. So I'm making up for that at the end of this episode. Now, let's get into those Salem witch trials. Okay, so to, to understand what happened in colonial Massachusetts in 1692, we, we have to understand, you know, what the deal was with colonial Massachusetts, just in general. Uh, one of the original English settlements, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, was settled in 1630 by a group of about a thousand Puritan uh, refugees from England under Governor John Winthrop and Deputy Governor Thomas Dudley. And over the next 10 years, a steady exodus of Puritans headed west from England with about 20,000 uh, immigrating to Massachusetts and neighboring colonies during what was known as the Great Migration of Puritans. And, and the initial settlement was financed and technically ran by members of the Massachusetts Bay Company uh, Fishing and Trading Company, chartered by the British Crown, to expand their presence in the New World. And the Puritan leaders carried the company's charter with them to New England, and this action enabled them to govern themselves and meant that although their company was founded in England, uh, they would not be locally controlled by governors and stockholders in England while they were in the New World. Quickly bending the charter to their own purposes, the Puritans transformed their new company into a religious commonwealth, a theocracy. They wanted to establish an ideal Christian community in their eyes, uh, uh, you know, and this theocracy was established with Winthrop as governor in May 1631. And the Puritan leaders, uh, you know, immediately agreed to recognize only church members as freemen, freemen being those entitled to vote and hold office. The company's officers became the colony's magistrates, the ministers of the church defined orthodoxy. The colony's magistrates enforced it. Dissenters were suppressed or banished or worse. So basically this company chartered uh, by you know England and in England to settle a new land, once they got to the new land, formed basically their own separate nation. And instead of a monarchy loyal to the English crown, uh, it was a theocracy loyal only to God as its members interpreted God, which you'll see was a, a pretty rigid interpretation. So the, the Puritans had left England primarily for religious reasons. Uh, they were a sect of religious dissidents who felt that the Church of England was too closely associated with the Catholic religion and needed to be reformed. And King Charles was not interested in reforming the church in England and was not interested in, in their, uh, uh, you know, in hearing them talk about reforming it. And the Puritans figured that perhaps in America they could establish a colony whose government, society, and church were all based upon the Bible as they interpreted it. Puritans, uh, the word Puritans, had in fact been a name of ridicule for Christians in England since the end of the 16th century. 
first used, or at least, you know, used early uh, during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. They were Christians who wanted the Church of England, as I said, you know, purified of any literary or uh, lit- liturgy, ceremony, or practices which were not found in the Scripture. And again, all on their interpretation. The Bible uh, was their sole authority, and with these beliefs, they believed it applied to every area and level of life, to Puritans, Anglicanism, you know, which is with the Church of England, too similar to Catholicism, as I stated, uh, the, the religion that the English church renounced in 1534. Puritans thought Catholic religious ceremonies exhibited uh, ostentatious or vulgar displays of wealth. Stained glass windows, statues, and crucifixes were common fixtures in Catholic houses of worship, as they are today. Uh, Catholic priests, you know, were dressed in elaborate vestments or robes, symbolic of their elite status in the Puritans' eyes. And, and the Puritans believed that simplistic, understated meeting houses were the way to go. That was what was proper. Uh, ministers in Puritan New England, uh, you know, they just wore simple black robes. And they believed that salvation was a matter between the individual and God. They believed that the rigid Catholic hierarchy of priests, bishops, archbishops, popes was superfluous. Uh, Puritans, always protective of their independence, organized churches on the congregational model in which each individual church held complete autonomy over its members. There was no external authorities to whom uh, they had to answer to. And this structure, again, uh, you know, just uh, represented a complete renunciation of the once-dominant Catholic model. And these fuckers were strict. In 1641, uh, when the Puritans first established a proper legal code, uh, the first capital crime was idolatry. Number two, witchcraft. Uh, They stated, if any man or woman be a witch, that is, has or consults with a familiar spirit, they shall be put to death. This This is a law. This is one of their first laws uh, read in the, in the Massachusetts body of laws they created. Blasphemy came next, then followed murder, poisoning, and bestiality. Do you hear what I'm saying? In these people's minds, these early Puritan settlers' minds, idolatry, witchcraft, and blasphemy, more pressing matters than actual murder. Then somehow poisoning comes up, as if being poisoned was a real and constant threat. <laughs> and then rounding out the top six is bestiality. Was that specifically seriously a problem? That had to be dealt with. How, how did they decide all of this? Okay, everyone, time to establish some new laws in our new land. We've been waiting far too long to do so. Not sure about you gentlemen, but myself, I'm sick of the murdering. Murdering is indeed a despicable act, governor. But shouldn't we address the idolatry first? Oh, yes, the idolatry. I just saw uh, Brother John whittling something the other day, and I dare say it looked like it could have been an idol. Perhaps a deer, but perhaps a demon. Yes, of course. Idolatry. Uh, That's our first order of business. And then, like, like one guy in the back of the meeting room, just some fucking weird Puritan, Brother Brother Heza Jebediah, just starts in with his bestiality talk, like he's the dude always talking about that for some reason. And then uh, then animal fornication, the laying with the cattle, and and the bedding of the horses. And the, and the rubbing of the thighs of the deer. Okay, brother, uh, here's a Jebediah. We'll get to all that soon enough. Uh, I think it's time for, for murder to be addressed. But what about the witchery, governor? Do you not care about all the witches and the spells and the potions and the cauldrons and the broomsticks and such? And the blasphemers with their party talk and their loose sea folk language. Do you not care about the blasphemers, governor? Many of the witches are blasphemers and idolaters. And the brother has a... 
has, has a Jebediah, he just won't shut up. And, and, and let us not forget about the, the man laying with the donkeys and the sheep. And the young boys rubbing up with the dogs. And, and so many sweaty, swarthy, vile, horny men rubbing on the goats and the, and the pumping of the goats' buttocks in, in a swirling, pulsating rhythm, faster with the thrusts and the grunting and the pulsating. That's enough, brother, has a Jebediah. First idolatry, then witches, then blasphemy, then murder. But the bestiality, with no, not then bestiality, then uh, poisoning. Then poisoning. I don't like poisoning. But governor, what about the naked wrecked men greasing down the livestock and the candlelit barns and the thrusting and the pushing and the groaning and the locking of both eyes and hips, face to furry face? All right, brother, has a jabber that's enough. After poisoning comes bestiality, my God. And then once you really settled into the American colonies, the Puritans were now free from the persecution of the English and were able to focus on new threats. In addition to making up crazy laws, uh, threats like the French colonists, Irish immigrants, Quebec French colony to the north of New England presented a close military threat. From 1688 to 1763, the English would battle the French in a series of continuous wars across Europe and America. And the French would often employ local uh, Native Americans, uh, and they would battle uh, the colonists, you know, constantly throughout the frontier. Uh, fear of the French, who actually were largely Roman Catholic, was so common in Puritan uh, culture that parents would often scare bad children with tales of horned and devilish Frenchmen that would, that would do them harm at first chance. That's fucking hilarious to me. You, you be a good boy, young Henry. Or naughty Louis will pop up from beneath your bed and force you to eat crepes and wear a beret. Long history of national animosity colored the relationship between Irish Catholics and Puritans. Uh, many English saw the Irish as immoral and uncivilized. Uh, bestiality was, was rampant in Ireland during the 16th and 17th century, and many Puritans were convinced that Irish buggers were constantly fornicating with uh, and sodomizing uh, their cattle, horses, sheep, medium to large-sized dogs, goats, and, and especially donkeys. And, and not without good reason, little known fact, the name O'Sullivan is actually Gaelic for donkey fucker. So if you take one thing away from the show, let it not be that because I made, I made that stuff about, uh, up about the Irish. They didn't like them, though. There was no Irish animal sex connection. But Massachusetts Puritans really didn't care for Irish Catholics. In general, Puritans uh, didn't care for any Catholics. One common justification for this uh, explicit prejudice was a 1605 gunpowder plot in which Catholics attempted to bomb the English king and other dignitaries. Uh, another justification for Puritans hating Catholics was, it, was that, they were, uh, that they were Catholics, uh, and, and they didn't agree with Puritans. You'll find out that the Puritans just hated everyone who didn't agree with them. The Catholic Church was to Puritans a site of evil that performed the devil's work. Catholic priests supposedly possessed su supernatural powers in the Puritans' minds. Many considered the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, to be the Antichrist himself, the personification of evil. Known for their independent interpretations of the Christian Bible, uh, Puritans cast Vatican City, home of Catholicism, as, as in the role of Babylon, the city that symbolizes evil and destruction in the last parts of the New Testament. And they, and they just didn't hate Catholics, as, as I was saying. Basically, Puritans feared uh, and hated everyone uh, who didn't agree with them and wasn't also Puritan. And as we'll see during the, the witch trials, they also hated many uh, other Puritans. They, they, they were a fucking hateful, horrible people. Check out this expert, uh, excerpt from a book called Politics and Religion in the United States. It says, At first, Quaker missionaries who came to Massachusetts to spread their views were simply banished. And again, banished by the Puritans. However, as Quakers kept coming, harsher punishments were introduced for them, such as cutting off their ears 
or boring a hole in their tongues with a hot iron and then banishing them. When even this didn't stop Quaker missionary activity in Massachusetts, the death penalty was added. Between 1659 and 1661, four Quakers were put to death by the Puritans, uh, basically for being Quakers. <laughs> it appeared that the persecution would become a rampant, uh, but then in 1661, King Charles II intervened and prohibited any more corporal punishment of Quakers. What is wrong with these people? Jeez. Just listen, Quaker. We warned you to never come here and discuss another possible interpretation of our shared gospel of love and forgiveness. So, I'm going to cut your fucking ears off and put a hole through your tongue. And if you or anyone else like you ever comes back here again and doesn't agree with me explicitly, you will be dead. You're fucking dead. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Uh, side note, Puritanism uh, no longer exists. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, it morphed into other denominations such as Unitarianism and Universalism, which is pretty ironic because those are very liberal uh, Christian denominations that don't share much uh, of anything with the original uh, Puritan take on the Bible. How pissed would those early Puritans be if they knew that their faith evolved into a branch of Christianity, Unitarianism, uh, so liberal it doesn't even believe Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, boy. They, they'd be punching holes in tongues and chopping ears off left and right. So much ear chopping and hole punching. Their wrists would be tired from all the tongue punching. <laughs> I'm sure they believed that Quakers were just some more minions of Lucifer. Just damn you, Beelzebub, sending me your imps and your demons and your Catholics and your French people and your Irish people and your Quakers and everyone else I haven't met yet that I'd like to tongue punch and ear chop. So in early Massachusetts, you have a population of uber religious people uh, who feel persecuted, people clearly capable of lashing out violently against anyone who doesn't agree with them just explicitly. Uh, people who have complete control of their church and their government, people who are very concerned about the devil and the devil's servants, witches specifically, uh, casting their devil spells and shit. You know, well, I don't know what these witches were supposedly casting spells about in, uh, you know, colonial Massachusetts. Maybe maybe they'd have, like, slightly taste your porridge to eat. I don't, I, don't, I don't think anybody was just killing it compared to today's lifestyle back then. Or maybe they'd have, you know, slightly less uncomfortable boots to wear. <laughs> Ah, uh, just some a la peanut butter sandwich. I want a, a little more uh, soul in my boot so I don't get as many blisters in my shitty colonial life. I don't know. I'm sure my heretic ass would have been put to death immediately back then. Also, it should be noted that Puritans weren't the only people afraid of witches, to be fair to them. A lot of witch fear going on. Uh, like, you know, for hundreds of years prior to this in medieval Europe, most Christians, and frankly, most people of other religions uh, as well, had a strong belief that the devil could give certain people known as witches the power to harm others in return for their loyalty. And, and there was a witchcraft craze rippling through Europe from the 1300s to the end of the 1600s. Every decade or so, a bunch more witches would be fucking burned or hanged. Tens of thousands of supposed witches, mostly but not all women, were executed. Uh, pretty tragic, considering 100% of them were innocent of being witches, since that's nonsense. Uh, tens of thousands of witches killed and not a single broom actually ridden through the sky. And, and witches uh, had been killed in Massachusetts before, uh, 50 years before by the Puritans, before the Salem Witch Trials. In 1648, the Massachusetts Bay Colony tried and executed an accused witch for the first time. The accused was a midwife named Margaret Jones from Charlestown, and she was hanged at Gallows Hill in Boston after she was accused by some of her patients of being a witch. According to then-Governor Winthrop's journal, Jones was accused in 1648 by some of her patients who stated that she told them they would never heal if they refused to take her medicine. And then when her patient's illnesses and injuries didn't heal, many began to suspect Jones of witchcraft. 
leading to her accusation in the spring of 1640. For fuck's sake. Unbelievable. She told these dumb, superstitious, paranoid bastards to take medicine to feel better, which was her job to do. And then they refused. And when they didn't feel better, they accused her of witchcraft and they killed her. What a terrifying time to live in if you had half a brain. You cannot reason with somebody that preposterously dumb. Uh, you told me to take my medicine to get better. I didn't take it. I'm still sick. Uh, yeah, that's how medicine works. Doesn't help you if you don't take it. That sounds like something a witch would say. What? No, that, that's how everything works. You know, like, like if you're thirsty, you drink water to not be thirsty, right? Yeah, maybe guess so. Yeah, yeah, maybe guess so. And if you're sick, you take medicine to feel better, right? That's what a witch doesn't go to witch talk. We got witch. Burn the witch. Hang in the witch. Hang the witch. Idiots. Some of these people, these morons killed, were probably just glad to die on some level. Just so they wouldn't have to live around these bastards anymore. Add, okay, adding to the average Salem-based Puritan's mindset of anxiety and paranoia and persecution before the Salem witch trials began was King William's War launched when English rulers William and Mary started a war with France in the American colonies in 1689, just a few years before the trials. King William's War, also known as the Second Indian War, also known as the First Intercolonial War, also known as the Second Third War of the First, Fourth, Fifth Century. Uh, I just made up that last name because it seemed like there was too many names and a lot of them were dumb. Uh, King William's War was waged for control of the American colonies uh, where the French were vastly outnumbered, about 12 to 1. But the French had a higher percentage of settlers with military experience, and they used that experience to make deals with local Native American tribes, have these tribes attack English settlers. Some of these tribes, you know, would attack the Puritans, which added to their devil fear because they, they saw the Native Americans as just devil-crazed heathens. Uh, the war ravaged regions of upstate New York, Nova Scotia, Quebec, sending refugees into the county of Essex, and specifically Salem Village in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So now they have some of those damn devils, dick-stroking Catholics in their midst. That's an exact quote, by the way. Colony Governor uh, William Phipps was apparently quite fond of saying things here in Massachusetts were perfect, but then those devil's dick-stroking Catholics showed up and ruined everything. Now nah, he, he wasn't fond of saying that. I'm fond of saying that. But uh, but yeah, so now they're even more tense, you know, because there's already a quarrel. Some people don't get along well with each other, and now they got, you know, kind of like refugees hanging out, making things more stressful. These newly displaced people, you know, they put a strain on Salem Village's limited resources. The strain aggravated the existing rivalry between families with ties to the wealth of the port of Salem and those who depended on agriculture for their wealth. You know, whose job was it to feed these new colonists? Tensions ran high. Stupidity ran higher. Superstition max levels. Controversy also uh, was brewing regarding Reverend Samuel Paris, who became Salem Village's first ordained minister in 1689. Paris was disliked by many of the villagers because of his rigid ways and allegedly greedy nature. Uh, there was a lot of gossiping, a lot of infighting in Salem Village. Puritan villagers believed all this quarreling and tension was the work of the devil. You'll soon realize that, that Puritans basically blamed everything on the work of the devil. Uh, also, it should be noted that the Puritans of Salem Village uh, were um, had been an, an especially quarrelsome, paranoid lot. Even for Puritans, they were known. Like this village in particular... Even by the standards of other Puritans, they were seen as a little crazy. Uh, like, like Salem Village was known for, uh, for a constant variety of internal disputes, for disputes between the village and Salem Town, present-day Salem, Massachusetts. Arguments about property lines uh, were fierce, grazing rights, church privileges. Uh, neighboring Puritans, you know, like from Salem Town, considered the population of Salem Village to be especially quarrelsome. Uh, their history with ministers illustrates how quarrelsome they could be. In 1672, the villagers had voted to hire a minister of their own 
for the first time apart from Salem Town. Uh, and then the first two ministers, James Bailey, 1673 to 1679, and George Burroughs, 1680 to 1683, stayed just a few years each, and both departed after the congregation failed to pay them their full rate. So these people are just, you know, they're, they're not a nice people. The third minister, uh, Diodat Lawson, stayed for a short time, just uh, 1684, 1688. He left uh, when the church in Salem Village refused to ordain him. You know, didn't, didn't find him godly enough. The parish uh, disagreed about Salem Village's choice of Samuel Paris as its first ordained minister. On June 18, 1689, the villagers overall did agree to hire him, ordain him for 66 pounds annually, one-third part in money, the other two-third parts in provisions and the use of a parsonage. And, and then again, after agreeing to this, many still just didn't like the guy. So, so they, they've been hot and cold on, on whoever happens to be the town minister for a good 20 years before the witch trials even break out, which again just kind of you know points to the, these, these people just uh, being an especially argumentative and it sounds like a kind of like vindictive bunch, right? They're just ne- – they're not fucking happy with anything. They hate everybody. They're not happy with anything. It sounds like a terrible place to live, you know? And then you get these refugees coming in from these other colonies to add to the tension, and it's just, it's just a bad kind of uh, uh, social vibe going on, especially bad. And then in 1692, a couple of kids come down with a strange illness, and all hell breaks loose in this already tense town. So let's examine just how much hell breaks loose, uh, just exactly how loose it gets, with a little time suck timeline of the Salem Witch Trials. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. January 1692, uh, Reverend Paris's daughter, Elizabeth, age nine, and niece Abigail Williams, age 11, start having fits. They scream, they throw things, they utter strange sounds, they contort themselves into strange positions, and a local doctor blames the supernatural because in 1692, doctors uh, were superstitious morons by and large with little to no understanding of science. Think about how crazy that diagnosis is, right? You'd be diagnosed... With, like, supernatural disease. Uh, honey, what did the doctor say was wrong with you? Well, Stella, I'm afraid I have a demon. Yep, I cut me a case of Satan. Don't worry, he says he can probably beat it out of me, or perhaps bleed it from my body. Uh, another girl, Ann Putnam, age 11, experiences similar episodes. Now the demon is diagnosed. On February 29, 1692, under pressure from local magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, the girls blame three women for afflicting them with witchcraft. Uh, Tatuba, the Paris' Caribbean slave, Sarah Good, a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly, impoverished woman. Funny how this, the witches just happen to be people who don't sound like they can really defend themselves. A slave, a homeless beggar, and a poor, defenseless old woman. Why are you girls sick? Well, we're, we're not sure, but, but we know that that homeless lady over there is weird. She probably had something to do with it. And, and the old woman across the street who, who we don't like and never plays with us, creepy old Miss Oz, I think she had something to do with it. And uh, our, our slave is easy to blame. We like to blame her for things. Uh, so let's, let's do that again. Of the three women who were the first accused of the Salem witch trials, only Tatuba, the first witch to confess, would actually make it out of these trials alive. March 1st, 1692, all three of the women are brought before local magistrates, accused of being witches, interrogated for several days, Again, starting on March 1st. Osborne claims innocence, as does good, but Tatuba strangely confesses. She said that uh, the devil came to me and bid me serve him. And then she described elaborate images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a black man who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she did sign the book and said there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. 
And so all three women were put in jail. Uh, guessing Tatuba was coerced or at least uh, uh, asked strongly leading questions to say that. I, I don't think she came up with that just voluntarily. And now the witch hunt is on. Uh, again, actually, four years earlier, before the witch trials in 1688, four exemplary Boston children, the sons and daughters of a devout Boston stone layer named John Goodwin, suffered from this strange baffling disorder. They, they would bark uh, that these girls were suffering from now. They would bark at one another like dogs, uh, purr like so many cats, wrote socially and politically influential minister Cotton Mather, who observed Goodwin's family and wrote of their afflictions in memorable providences relating to witchcraft and possessions the following year. Cotton claimed that the Goodwin kids flew around like geese. On one occasion, one of the kids flew for 20 feet. They recoiled from blows of invisible sticks. They shrieked that they were sliced by knives or wrapped in chains, jaws, wrists, necks, flew out of joint. To observe their sentence more closely, Mather, uh, that summer took Martha Goodwin into his home, where she cantered, trotted, and galloped about the household on her aerial steed. She whistled through the family prayer. How dare she whistle? She pummeled anyone who attempted the family prayer in her presence. Uh, the worst house guest ever. She hurled books at Cotton's head. She read and reread his passage on her case in a mocking vocal tone. Well, the case of Martha's afflictions was identified soon enough by the great Cotton Mathers, by this local genius. Uh, she was a victim of witchcraft, plain and simple. And, and, and the culprit was a defenseless old woman nearby. Do you see a pattern here? On the stand... This defendant was unable to adequately recite the Lord's Prayer, and that was proof of her guilt. She didn't know one of these prayers, you know, by heart. So, you know, there you go. She's a witch. And then this good wife, Goody Ann Glover, was hanged on November 16, 1688 on Boston Common. Actually, the last witch to be hanged in Boston proper. But things were just getting started in Salem, just getting heated up on the witch front. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that old Cotton made up a lot of that shit. Uh, especially about the girl flying for 20 feet and riding around on an invisible horse. I mean, this dude made his money as a religious author. And sensationalism, you know, always sells well in the literary world. Uh, you know, and who cares if an old woman or two gets killed along the way for making some of those some of those book bucks, I guess. Uh, and then these women, these people, uh, you know, uh, were accusing these women of being witches now in Salem. And, and I started wondering, like, what exactly did they think a witch was? So, so I looked it up. Ah, uh, it's unbelievable. This episode, is just, it's just a nonstop train of what the fuck. Uh, these people thought witches signed an agreement with an actual devil written in blood. And then, and then they bore some mark of the devil on their body as proof. I was wondering about that with the trials. It didn't speak to their, their, their uh, devil marks. But you'd think if they really did bear a devil's mark, it would be easily identifiable. And then they wouldn't have one. And they'd be like, well, I guess we were wrong. But nope. Anyway, they thought these witches uh, enchanted by way of charms, ointments, poppets. Poppets being little kind of voodoo type dolls. I do, I do have to say, being into poppets, little dolls, that does seem a little devil-like. You know, like if I knew the old lady lives next door was way into poppets, or even puppets, you know, poppets cousin. Kids are not going over there anymore. I'm not going over there anymore. It's creepy to me. Uh, what else did witches do? Well, uh, you know, they walked on their hands. That's how you could identify them. You know, walking upside down the way Satan intended, the devil way of carnies and Eastern European gymnasts. Uh, witches made pregnancies last for three years. They rode hyenas into into forest orgies. What the fuck? Hyenas? Sir, was, a, was a single hyena found in Salem? No. In Salem Village? No, it was not. Was anyone pregnant there for three years or anywhere else ever for three years? No. But still these legends persist. Uh, witches also stole not only babies, but penises. Damn those penis-stealing witches. Again, seriously, penises? Did, did some local Puritans end up getting their wangs stolen? No, they didn't. I googled that and uh, nothing came up pertaining to Salem. 
Uh, I did find a Vice article about a medieval belief that witches stole penises and not only stole them, they kept them as pets. Like little wieners that would end up having like wings or fucking legs. It's just uh, the human imagination. It's a powerful thing. Uh, Massachusetts witches also disordered barns and kitchens. I love that. That's What a drop in like <laughs> outrageousness compared to penis stealing. <laughs> Why is this barn in disorder? Damn you witches. First you make a mess of my kitchen. First you steal my dick. And now you leave my barn slightly disheveled. When will the evilness end? Uh, witches, uh, they divine the contents of unopened letters, uh, survived falls downstairs. That's an interesting one. Tipped hay from wagons, enchanted beer, caused cattle to leap four feet off the ground. Not two feet, not ten feet. Now that's, that's a, that's a, that's a wizard's work. Four feet, that's in the, that's in the witch zone. Uh, and, and again, I love, uh, surviving a, a stair fall as proof of being a witch. How was that ever tested? That sounds horrific. I tell you, my wife is a witch. Part of the devil's own coven. I've thrown the evil hag down the stairs, down the stairs a good dozen times. Harder and harder each time. And yet she still lives. By the power of Satan. Uh, one Massachusetts witch was hanged in 1586 for having more wit than her neighbors. That's a quote, more wit. She's too smart. It's not natural. This is the devil's work. Satan's harlot with her quick mind and her fine vocabulary. Uh, pastors like Cotton Mather not only knew uh, what these witches did, they also knew about the witch's master, Satan, the great deceiver. Uh, Mather knew that he appeared in New England as a, hi- <laughs> as a hybrid monkey, a man, a rooster, and even a fast-moving turtle. What? Fast-moving turtle? I just love it. I guess just anything that seems out of the ordinary, they just go straight devil, right? Anything that they hear of that might be weird. That's a peculiarly big ear of corn. Do not pick it. Do not eat it. That's the devil's corn. What an odd-looking slug. That's no slug. That's Satan himself oozing his hell slime over your doorstep. Don't squish it. Don't squish the devil. You squish it and we're we're liable to be attacked by a new form of creature. A a three-eared muskrat, perhaps. Maybe a a seven-fingered raccoon. Damn the devil and his strange beast ways. Okay, so back to the witch trials. May 1692, the number of girls determined by locals to be enchanted, somehow by witches, has now risen from three to twelve. And, and they started to claim be, uh, to be enchanted by people they've never even met. You know, it's, it's almost as if things are becoming like a witch hunt. Easy to see where the origin of that phrase comes from. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines witch hunt, by the way, as the searching out and deliberate harassment of those, such as political opponents with unpopular views. Don't like some old woman across the street? You know, well, talk some kids into blaming, uh, you know, her into, for being a witch. Tavern lady pissed you off the other night? Witch. Can't get the church to grant you to divorce from your wife? Well, you may not be able to divorce her, but in good old Salem Village, you can have her killed for being a witch. She can be hanged. Next best thing to a divorce, I guess. Uh, May 10th, 1692, on on May 10th, elderly woman Sarah Osborne dies in prison, where she's been held for being a witch. Uh, Maybe she died in natural causes, you know, uh, possible. Uh, Probably a combination of poor treatment and malnourishment. I don't know. Maybe she ran out of witch mojo. You know, she didn't have any access to eye of newt or toe of frog or wool of bat in her prison. May 27th, uh, 1692, the new Massachusetts governor, Sir William Phipps, establishes a special court to try these witchcraft cases. He's sick of it. He's sick of all the witchery. He assembles uh, on the bench nine of, of, the, of the people with the best prudence that could be pitched upon. Uh, at its head, he installs his lieutenant governor, 60-year-old William Stoughton, a man who possessed one of the best legal minds in the colony, in, in, in this guy's mind. And I'm not sure how much that really says. 
He has a, one of the finest minds in the colony, which is why he has agreed us, agreed with us to help us determine who's working with the devil and who's just someone we think is annoying or creepy. Only the best of the best for the witch trial. Uh, June 10th, 1692, the court, uh, you know, met in early June and sentenced the first witch to be, uh, to be hanged on June 10th. Uh, the first witch uh, was to be Bridget Bishop. Bridget was a widow who ran a tavern out of her home where patrons were allowed to play shuffleboard the devil's game. Uh, that's how you know someone is under the guidance of the Dark Lord. Are you fond of shuffleboard? Did you get a little help on your shot from your invisible Dark Lord? Bridget was a mother of two, had been married three times, evil. Uh, when her second husband died, she was actually put on trial for bewitching him to death. So this wasn't her first go-round with uh, uh, crazy accusations. How do you not get back on a ship to England after being accused of bewitching your husband to death? Why don't you just try your luck out in the woods with natives? You know, I don't understand a word this tribe says, but I haven't been taken to trial for bewitching someone. So, you know, uh, not bad here. Uh, I'm guessing things are probably just as wackdoodle with the natives uh, uh, or also back in England. Fucking humans, man. Scary animals, aren't they sometimes? Uh, following Bridget's insane execution, uh, she was also known to be gossipy and promiscuous prior to her trial. So, you know, these guys had it out for her, right? They, they, were, they were looking to kill her long before the, before the witch, witch trial craze got going. Uh, during the next few days, 12 ministers conferred, and then Reverend Cotton Mather drafted their reply. Uh, an eight-paragraph document delivered mid-month, acknowledging the enormity of their crisis, he urged exquisite caution. So now that they killed one witch... He's like, we got to be a little more cautious now. There's a lot of witch accusations going around. You know, we don't, we don't want to blemish those of formerly an unblemished reputation. However, he also advised a speedy and vigorous prosecution. So he gave a bit of a mixed message. You know, it's very much like, let's be careful with all this witchcraft. All right, we just killed somebody. Let's slow it down. But also, if we suspect them of being a witch, let's speed it up. Let's, let's kill them immediately. Uh, June 16, 1692, the second death as part of the witch trials occurs. Uh, when another suspected witch, Roger Toothaker, dies in prison awaiting trial. So not just women. Uh, old Roger was a farmer and a folk healer. Had witch written all over him. You like growing things and healing things? Okay, witch. What else are you into? Massage? Listening good? Sending thank you gifts? You fucking witch. Uh, actually, uh, Toothaker claimed to specialize in detecting and punishing witches himself previous to his trial. For several years before the Salem witch trials began in 1692, Toothaker, 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 weird name. Uh, it's like tooth with A-K-E-R. Toothaker? Toothaker? Fucking whatever. Witch? That's all I hear is witch. Uh, Toothaker had reportedly bragged to locals that he had taught his daughter Martha his witch-finding trade and that uh, she had actually killed a witch. So you know what? I actually don't feel too sorry for this victim. You know, live by the witch, die by the witch, okay? And the trials continue. June 30th, 1692, from June 30th uh, through early July, grand juries endorsed indictments against Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Proctor, John Proctor, Martha Carrier, Sarah Wilds, Dorcas Hoare, uh, Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, and Sarah Wilds, along with Rebecca Nurse, went to trial also at this time, where they were found guilty, and then all five women were executed by hanging on July 19th, 1692. And then there's the case of Ann Foster in mid-July. Uh, two girls from Salem Village, Anne Putnam and Mary Walcott, had been afflicted with a fever that baffled local, uneducated, and chronically clueless and superstitious doctors. Unable to be cured medically, the girls were taken to Andover to seek out a witch that must be behind their sickness. And then they fell into fits at the very sight of Anne Foster. Case closed. Next witch. You all saw it. The sick girls acted more sick when they saw Anne. So let's hang her already. Let's get on to the next witch. 
Uh, poor Anne was a 72-year-old uh, widow whose husband had passed away seven years prior. She was immediately taken to prison and interrogated. Uh, after at first denying all involvement in sorcery, much like a rational not-witch person does, uh, she eventually confesses. Uh, again, I have to believe all these confessions were made under extreme duress. Just sick men screaming at this poor old grandma, you know, either probably not feeding her well uh, or feeding her at all, making her sleep into some stuffy prison cell in the humid Salem summer, right? Questioning her hour after hour, undoubtedly confusing her with all their fucking gibberish talk. Eventually, she was probably just delirious, you know, fatigued, stressed, and then she just starts to tell a story, a crazy story they obviously so badly wanted to hear. She tells the interrogators that the devil had appeared to her as an exotic bird. <laughs> he promised prosperity along with the gift of afflicting at a glance. Seriously? You can afflict at a glance? Well, why don't you fucking afflict, afflict these two dudes or three dudes or ten dudes talking to you right now? Uh, she said she had bewitched several children and a hog. I, li I like that detail. She, she also bewitched a hog. I turned that hog into Satan's bacon, and anyone who eat from Satan's bacon flesh would, would do the devil's bidding. Uh, she worked her sorcery with her poppets, you know, her little her little sorcery dolls, her little puppet poppets. Uh, she said her neighbor, Martha Carrier, also in bed with the devil, uh, and actually spoke to, to the devil more than she did. I love how it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I was talking to the devil, but not, not as much as my neighbor. Martha was like way into the devil. I was like, like, casually into the devil martha was like fucking devil this and devil that and devil oh just shut up already with your devil talk um she said that that martha had announced a, a devil sabbath in may arranging their trip by air the two, <laughs> the two of them flew to this meeting by broomstick oh it's so dumb <laughs> there were 25 people at this devil meeting in a meadow including a former Salem Village minister who officiated some devil's ritual. She testifies all of this uh, in court, and the court eats it up. Just picture this nonsense. A bunch of dudes in those white, silly wigs, you know, like you've seen the pictures of? Fucking old men in white, old white men, just stone-faced in silly wigs, listening to this horseshit and being convinced of its truth. God, I'm so glad I don't live back in time. What a bunch of assholes. Just think about how much of a dipshit you'd have, you'd have to be to not think it's ridiculous to put on a silly white-haired wig to judge a trial. You're deciding if people live or die, and you think you need a wig to, <laughs> to help you make that decision. This poor woman, she's rambling on, making up what she thinks these dudes want to hear. They're just lapping it up. Oh, oh dear. Oh, my. Lord, protect us. But wily devil, Satan's meeting in a meadow. I cannot hear. I cannot bear to hear any more today. I must dwell upon what you've witnessed. I must I must repowder my wig for further clarity. Well, after getting some clarity, the court felt that Anne was still holding back. Right? She told him a lot of stuff, but she's hiding something. And so they got another witch to fill in the details. A newly arrested suspect, 40-year-old Martha La or Mary Lacey, told the court uh, more about the meeting on July 20th. According to Lacey, Foster had withheld the details of a chilling ceremony. The devil himself had baptized his recruits, dipping their heads in water six at a time. He performed the sacrament in a nearby river to which he carried Lacey in his arms. Six at a time, probably did it six times. Damn devil in his love of sixes. Everyone knows if you say six, 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 six times, uh, or six hundred and sixty-six times, a portal of hell will be ripped open in the flat earth. Hail Nimrod. Okay, and then Anne lied, I guess Anne lied about more shit, you know, fucking liar Anne. It wasn't just her and her neighbor, Martha, flying to that meadow. No, there was a third witch flying behind him. Nice try, Anne. 
you wily conniving hag. Thought you could hide the third witch from us. <laughs> not you're not getting past the, anything past these wigs. Not today. Uh uh-uh. uh. Look at my look at my you look at my wig. Look at my white wig. You see if you can get something past it. Uh, and guess who Mary Lacey is, by the way? Anne Foster's own daughter. Dun dun dun. And the court then asked Anne, how could she not know her own daughter was a witch? And Anne swore that she didn't know. But then Mary swore that she did know. And she berated her elderly mother in court and threw her under the bus, saying, We have forsaken Jesus Christ, and the devil hath got hold of us. How shall we get clear of this evil one? Man, talk, what, what hysteria. The court actually has these people believing they're witches and turning families against each other. Man, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Uh, and then things go from bad to worse for this family. Lacey's 17-year-old daughter, Mary Lacey Jr., Anne's granddaughter is brought into the mix. She's accused of being a witch, and then to prove that she's not, Lacey Jr., uh, she, she's asked to smile at a, at a court witness, 20 year old Mary Warren, who'd been having fits and had been blaming witchcraft for her fits. Uh, Mary Warren, Warren, uh, was the servant of John Proctor, local farmer, tavern keeper, who would also be accused of witchcraft. Lacey Jr. Was asked to smile at Mary without harming her. This is what they would do in court. And she couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. You guys, she, she could smile at Mary, but then the second she would smile at her, Mary would fall to the floor and start faking stuff. I mean, having fits. She's a witch. Case closed. Next witch. Whole family's in bed with Satan. Uh, the justices then remind uh, Mary Lacey Jr. that if she desires to be saved by Christ, she would confess to all of her witchcraft. She then proceeded, the court reporter noted, to do this and verified everything the court had already heard and more. Further confessions. Finally, all three generations of his family are brought in together. Mary Lacey Sr. when asked, uh, when after her mom, oh, she goes after her mom again saying, oh, grandmother, uh, oh, mother, sorry. Why did you give me to the devil? Why did you persuade me? Why did you not deny it? You have been a very bad woman in your time. My God. Actually, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, that was the granddaughter. All these fucking people accused of the same shit. I get confused. That was the granddaughter saying that about her grandma. Even sadder. Uh, end of July, 1692. By the end of July, after the testimony of Ann Foster, her daughter Mary and great, uh, I'm sorry, and granddaughter uh, Mary Jr., fucking two Marys. I hate it when people, uh, it's, like, it's like my family. It's like my dad, my name is also Dan. Couldn't you think of a different name? Make it easier when somebody calls to ask for Dan Cummins and we're like, which, uh, which one? Uh, anyway, uh, by the end of July, okay, after the testimony of Ann Foster, her daughter Mary and granddaughter Mary Jr., Salem Village, worked the fuck up about witches. Especially the whole meeting uh, with the devil and a meadow talk, man. This really, it, it's this meeting talk that leads to the really the the meat of the whole Salem witch trial. It's what uh, got so many other people thrown in thrown in jail and killed. Uh, if you want to work up some Puritans, man, I'll tell you exactly how you do it. You talk about a secret meeting in a meadow with the devil. You talk about an evil minister baptizing locals into spiritually joining the great Beelzebub, tricking townsfolk into serving the Prince of Darkness. Nothing gives a Puritan a harder devil boner. Then talk of a secret witch forest meeting with the devil. Devil boner, man. That is the name for a punk band. Should be. Okay, so it's clear to the court that with the, with the help of a minister mastermind, the devil was intending to topple their church and subvert their new country, something he had never attempted before in New England. Damn that devil. Man, just as soon as the fine, fun-loving Puritans had set up a nice town full of Quaker ear-cutting and hole-punching, or tongue-hole-punching and hanging, a nice village full of constant bickering and wildly irresponsible accusations and witch jailing and more hanging, an adorable little burg of never-ending fear and paranoia and religious oppression where your chest is tied all the time and you, and you fall asleep every night wondering if the insanity will be pointed at you tomorrow and you'll be, you'll be the one hanged. 
just as soon as they had this tranquil utopia built, the devil comes along to ruin it. Uh, paranoia, tension reached new heights in the village, you know? Everyone's looking for the next witch now. Everyone's looking for, you know, attendees of this meeting in the meadow uh, to attack the reputation of, of someone already accused of being a witch, you know, could get you accused of being a witch, so you had to be careful about that. You know, you, you, if you visited your already imprisoned spouse or child or parent too regularly, you know, that risk you getting accused of being a witch and thrown in jail yourself. Question the motives of the court? Oh, you're a witch. Question the validity of witchcraft in general? For sure a witch. Question a complete and utter lack of actual evidence for anyone actually being accused of being a witch? Well, you fucking might as well hang yourself, right? The skeptic was a marked man. Uh, there was enormous social uh, pressure to accuse someone else of being a witch, right? Accuse them before they accused you. That was the safest way to not get hanged was to accuse someone of being a witch, to, to, uh, to, to uh, act like you had these symptoms. You act like you were afflicted of symptoms, right? So there's enormous pressure to fake being the victim of witchcraft. Uh, increasingly, you know, you're sleeping under the same roof, if not the same bed as your accuser. Children are turned against parents, husbands against wives. The residents of Salem Village in 1692 lived under the daily tension of knowing one wrong move could send you to the hangman's, hangman's gallows, you know. Actually, it was worse than that. You could do nothing and be sentenced to death. Because of someone else's wild accusations. Man, fun times. Early August 1692, the court meets again. Uh, three men are convicted of witchcraft. George Jacobs, an elderly farmer. John Willard, another farmer. And John Proctor, a farmer and tavern owner. We mentioned him earlier. He's already been held. Uh, and he's also a man, by the way, who was played by Daniel Day-Lewis in the film adaptation of Arthur Miller's play based on the Salem Witch Trials, The Crucible, uh, which was actually a, a, a play also about McCarthyism. Um which we'll, I'm sure, do at some point here on the suck. Uh, anyway, during this, this trial, there's a break in the, in the case, right? In this new trial, they get a break. Reverend Cotton Mather tells his congregation that right after recently hanging five witches, which brought their death toll to seven, counting the woman who died in prison, the newly accused witches, confessing to them now, uh, told them who the evil reverend was. And that forced me, finally, they fucking found the witch leader. The demonic mastermind behind all the evil in Salem Village was a minister in his early 40s, you've already heard about, named George Burroughs. One of those men who formerly preached in Salem Village. One of those men who didn't get paid by the village. One of those men didn't stick around, you know, because he didn't like it and they didn't like him. So, you know, he was he was bound to be accused, you know. Uh, so it turns out they were right not to pay him, you know. He, he was the devil's preacher, after all. So let's talk about George Burroughs. This is beyond wackadoodle. Uh, Reverend George Burroughs had grown up in Maryland, graduated from Harvard in 1670. Same school, uh, current Salem Village Reverend Samuel Paris had attended. He was in his late 20s when he first spent those three contentious years in Salem Village. Burroughs' specter had been terrifying Salem villagers since April when he first choked one of Reverend Paris's daughters. I say he choked. He didn't do anything. He wasn't even, he wasn't even in town. At this point during the trials, uh, the, uh, up until this point and for, for a little while longer, the court would allow what they called spectral evidence to be admitted. And, and this is at the core of the Salem Witch Trials. This is how all these people were found guilty. Uh, it, they were convicted using spectral evidence. Spectral evidence is defined as witness testimony that the accused person's spirit or spectral shape appeared to the witness in a dream at the time the accused person's physical body was somewhere else. How insane is that? They're arresting and convicting and killing people based on spectral evidence. Yes, Reverend Burroughs, I, I do believe you were at home in bed miles away when the girl was choked. Uh, your alibi checks out. Let the court be clear. No one is disputing where your physical body was. But do you have an alibi for your soul? Where was your spirit? That's what I thought. 
You have an alibi for you, but not for Ghost You. And Ghost You was choking this poor girl. Not only did Reverend Burrow's specter nearly tear the poor girl to pieces, he bragged that he outranked a wizard. Uh Uh-huh. He was a conjurer. Days later, uh, he introduced himself with uh, these very same credentials to Paris' niece, whom he also bewitched. He bragged to the girls that he had murdered several women and he had worked as a secret agent in the employ of the French and the Indians. Two groups of people the Puritans despised and feared, and he killed a number of frontier soldiers as well. He also told the girls his secret plan, that instead of teaching children to fear God, he had now uh, come to persuade poor creatures to give their souls to the devil. It was he who presided over the satanic Sabbaths in the meadow that night. I love how cartoonishly dumb all this is. I mean, it's terrible what happened, you know, but tragedy plus time equals comedy, doesn't it? If he had, in fact, appeared as a spirit, why would he reveal his entire plan to these girls? Like, that makes zero sense. That is just, that's so preposterous. That would never happen. Even if all the witch and devil stuff was true, that would fucking, that would never happen. Who, who, hello, stupid girl. I'm going to choke you a bit right now, but I'm also going to let you live. Yes. I'm going to let you live after I've identified myself as the monster behind everyone's fear. Yes. What do you think of that? I'm going to incriminate myself several times over. Shortly after locals uh, have been hanged for less than I'm admitted to. Ha ha ha. How do you like that? I'm going to confess my entire devil plan, and and then I'm going to let you live, which greatly reduces the chances that my plan will work. Why? Well, because I'm a conjurer, and that is what conjurers do. They have stupid plans that they ruin for themselves. Fucking, it's ridiculous. Sixteen people uh, ended up uh, giving evidence at Burroughs' preliminary hearing. Nearly twice that many testified at the trial. Uh, Eight confessed witches. Uh, revealed that he had, in fact, been been promised a kingship in, Satan, in Satan's reign. Ah, the nonsense. Uh, the girls delivered up their own reports with difficulty, falling into testimony-stopping trances, yelping that Burroughs bit them. They would display their wounds for court officials uh, who inspected the minister's mouth. The imprints matched perfectly. No, they fucking didn't. None of this happened. Uh, choking and thrashing stalled the proceedings. The court could do nothing but wait for the girls to recover. Oh, man. The melodrama. Uh, during one delay, uh, Chief Justice Stoughton appealed to the defendant what what he asked did Burroughs think he had... Uh, oh. Um, what he asked did Burroughs think had throttled these girls? And the minister replied that he assumed it was also the devil. And then I guess he said, how comes the devil then to be so loath to have any testimony born against you? Stoughton, uh, this is what Stoughton said to Burroughs to challenge him. A brain teaser of a question that left Burroughs without an answer in the court. So do you understand what just happened? It's a little, little muddy there, the way I explained it. <laughs> so all the testimony is given, and then, you know, and then the judge, or, you know, Stoughton, or the, or the, or the presiding, the chief justice, Stoughton, uh, asked, like, well, okay, well, you know, if, if you weren't there, if, you weren't, if your specter wasn't doing this, what do you think throttled these girls? They, you know, they definitely were throttled. You know, people saw him convulsing. Who did it then? And the minister's like, well, I guess, I don't know, fucking the devil did it. And then uh, to really try to, like, <laughs> somehow pin the guilt back on the, the former minister, he, asked, he just says this to him. He says, how comes the devil then to be so loath to have any testimony born again? He, he comes back at him with nonsense. It's not a brain teaser. It's gibberish. What does that even mean? Pretty easy to stump people. 
Uh, and yeah, and then when like, and then when the guy is stumped by this, the court's like, see, he, he did not answer that. No one fucking knows how to answer that because it's a nonsense question. I could stump people with gibberish. If thou did not committest this crimest, then wherest hast thou put two of three or four things? One doesn't need us to even havest. If thou didn't have five of them, or six, or none of them, or all of them, themest in the firstest, or maybe the fiftest placest, well, answer me thatest. Like, what? What are you even saying? Uh, Burroughs was equally bewildered when ghosts began to fly around the courtroom. And by ghosts, I mean nothing. I mean people, <laughs> I mean people claiming to see ghosts. Mass hysteria. I don't believe for a second. Any of this stuff happened uh, that these people are claiming. You know, all this stuff that people are, think they're seeing. No, they're not. They, I think they just wanted to believe so badly, man. They're all drinking the same flavor aid at this point. All, all drinking that Jim Jones juice. Oh, directly before Burroughs, uh, uh, a girl recoiled from a horrible sight. You know, so when she sees Burroughs, she recoils and she explains to the court that she had just seen the blood red faces of George's dead wives. Damn it. These ghosts demanded justice by no, uh, by no account an agreeable man, I guess, Burroughs, uh, uh, had been assumed to beat his wives. So maybe not the best dude. Who knows how common domestic violence was in this day? I'm guessing pretty common. And but it, but it was just hearsay. He was never convicted of anything. Not that that would have been a crime necessarily back then, I guess. But so now the court believes he he not only beat his uh, his his former wife, that, but he killed him. Uh, these these women who died of just you know uh, things that no one suspected him of foul play when they did die. A lot of people died back then, but now he's murdered them. And and how does Burroughs defend himself from all of this? Well, sadly, with common sense and logic, which, of course, does not sit well with this particular court. He tells the court that there neither are nor ever were witches. Hoo-hoo. That having made a compact with the devil can send the devil to torment other people at, at a distance. Again, they, they talk in such weird a form of archaic English then. But basically, he's saying, like, no, this stuff, none of this stuff happened because it's not what devils, the devil does. Well, Chief Justice Stoughton, uh, who had graduated from Harvard himself around the time Burroughs was born, recognized these lines as being from the work of Thomas Addy, a leading English skeptic and doctor. I hope I'm saying his name right. He wasn't a super uh, known historical figure. It's uh, A-D-Y. Thomas Addy, I believe, or A-D, uh, was adamantly opposed to groundless fantastical doctrines. He was a doctor who was just very much against people being accused of witchcraft. Uh, he's, you know, against fairy tales and old wives' tales. Is, these are his words. The results of, you know, middle-of-the-night imaginings, excessive drinking, blows to the head. He was very uh, annoyed by it. And he believed that all these accusations of witchcraft were just, uh, you know, what lazy doctors did, basically. He sounds like a dude way ahead of his time. And uh, and this defense Stoughton, uh, uh, Burroughs uses, excuse me, obviously did not work. Uh, they're not going to they're not going to hear logic. So on August 19th, 1962, Martha Carrier, George Burroughs, George Jacobs, John Proctor and John Willard are taken via a cart to a hilltop known as Gallows Hill in Salem Village, and they are hanged. Burroughs climbed the ladder first uh, to the gallows, uh, perched above a crowd that included his former in-laws and parishioners. A noose around his neck, he delivered an impassioned speech. With his last breaths, Burroughs entrusted himself to the Almighty, tears rolling down his cheeks. He gives the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is, is supposedly impossible for a witch or a minion of the devil to do. And for a few moments, it actually seemed like the crowd was going to obstruct his execution. Many in the crowd are crying out for him not to be hanged. You know, he, he again, he had recited the Lord's Prayer. How could he do this? Doesn't matter. Kangaroo Court had made up their mind. Minutes after his prayer is delivered, the minister is dangling, you know, from a roughly finished beam. And what a horrible sight to witness. Many of them ha had, you know, had to have known at this point that the whole, this is a, a charade, that this is all nonsense. They just watched an innocent man get hanged for crimes he didn't commit. Well, Reverend Cotton Mather, he calms the crowd by telling them that the devil was the master of tricks and lies. And what better trick 
for the devil to commit than to actually recite the Lord's Prayer, the thing he's supposedly not able to do. I hate these assholes so much. Think about what Mather's doing here. They've made up rules, these ministers and and, and, uh, magistrates, about what it means to be a witch. They just pulled it out of their asses. Uh, they, they pulled out what, what it means to be a servant of Satan, you know, and then the second one of these rules that they've made up is broken, they point to that as further proof of the devil's influence. They've created an entirely unwinnable game. How will we know if you're not a devil? Well, you, you have to you have to throw a ball a piece of uh, paper, of trash paper, across the room. You have to make it into that trash bin on the first shot. The devil could never do that. So if you can do that, then you're not a devil. And then you and then you make the shot and they're like, ha ha ha. Nice try, devil. Doing the thing we told you you couldn't do. That's exactly how you know someone's a devil. God, you're so tricky. You're a tricky devil. Let's hang. We're gonna hang you now. Wait, but I just I made it. I made it. That's what. Yeah. What would I? What would happen if I didn't make it? What, what would happen if I missed? Well, if you missed, then we would for sure know you were a devil. You, you'd be hanged. We already told you that, you stupid devil. Uh, following these additional five executions, the court took another break from their, their hysterical nonsense. Uh, arrests and accusations are continuing. Now there's rumors altogether of like 700 witches just being around Massachusetts. So many fucking witches. It's a witch infestation. Uh, Cotton Mather's father, now at this time, another reverend named Increase Mather, is preaching caution. Increase and Cotton. Apparently the Mathers were dead set on winning some sort of family with the dumbest names competition. Uh, anyway, Increase said that going forward, no more spectral evidence should be used, only empirical evidence. Now, Cotton, to his credit, had warned against using spectral evidence earlier in the trials, before the first person was hanged, but he didn't seem too concerned that the magistrates dismissed his recommendation and just kept fanning the witch hunt flames, right, because he just went along with it. Uh, Increase also advised that a voluntary confession should be the gold standard for conviction. He said, I would rather judge a witch to be an honest woman than judge an honest woman as a witch. So, you know, he's, he's, he's preaching caution to his credit. But Sun Cotton is disagreeing now. He's convinced that the devil and his army of witches are determined to destroy everything they're trying to create in New England, and they need to stop them at all costs. And so the local magistrates of Salem Village uh, side with Cotton. Of course they do. And then on September 9th, six more villagers are accused of witchcraft, tried, and condemned by the court. And then on September 16th, Giles Corey refuses to stand trial after being accused, and the court orders the sheriff to pile rocks on him. And you heard me right. He's an 81-year-old man. Giles Corey is an 81-year-old uh, prosperous farmer, landowner, uh, accused of witchcraft along with his wife, Martha, and he is subjected to execution by pressing in an effort to force him to plead. The only example of such a sanction in American history, and he dies after two days of torture. Pressing uh, was used uh, here and there to get confessions from accused prisoners in England beginning in the 15th century. And, uh, and here's how it worked. Uh, Giles was stripped naked, and then, a, and, then a, and then a heavy board is laid on his body. So he's like laying with his back on the ground. Board is put on his chest. From the pictures I saw, kind of like, like neck on down, you know, through the rest of your torso and groin. Uh, and then they just add a bunch of fucking super heavy rocks on top of the board to make it difficult for the dude to breathe. And they did this to an 81-year-old man, and it took him a couple days to die. And apparently Giles, man, he was a tough old bastard. After like two days of pressing... <laughs> he was asked three times to plead innocent or guilty to witchcraft, and each time he was asked this, he would reply, more weight, and they would just put more rocks on him. Man, what a fucking badass. Uh, and then, in addition to the rocks, the piece of shit sheriff from time to time would stand on uh, on top of the board, in addition to the, the rocks, stare down at, you know, Corey, 
Oh, man. One witness later said, uh, in the pressing, Giles Corey's tongue was pressed out of his mouth, like it was just squished out of his mouth, and then the sheriff with his cane would force it back in again. He's still alive with that going on. He finally dies on September 19th, uh, uh, and two days earlier, by the way, uh, on the 17th, nine more residents had been tried and condemned by the court. So then on September 22nd, 1692, Martha Corey, Giles' wife, uh, Mary Easty, Alice Parker, and uh, Pudiator, Margaret Scott, Wilmot Reed, Samuel Wardell, and Mary Parker are hanged on Gallows Hill, bringing the total hang to 19. 19 hanged, one pressed to death. Uh, by the end of the madness, five uh, total would also die, you know, five additional uh, people would also die in prison, including the one who already died earlier, that woman, uh, including also two infants, uh, you know, more girls around Salem Village would begin to experience convulsions, start exhibiting strange behavior. You know, it's like the more witches they execute, the more witchcraft pops up. Damn you, Satan, in your ne- never-ending stream of deceit and evil. Well, October 1692, as quickly as the witch hunt madness had begun, it now comes to a screeching halt, uh, less than a year after it started. Why? Well, partly and perhaps mostly because they, they accused the wrong person. The accusations of witchcraft went too far finally, and they accused the governor's wife, uh, the, and the governor Phipp, accused his wife's Mary. This is a politician who approved uh, and kind of organized this, this witchcraft court in the first place. You don't fucking, you don't do that. That's when you go too far, right? You don't accuse the dude who fucking started the whole persecution of the witches. You don't accuse his wife of also being a witch. That's how you get your court taken away. And that's exactly what happened. October 29th, uh, 1692, he disbands the court. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's take it easy. Too much. Too much, guys. But then he does start, start a new court. He's not done. He just doesn't want his wife, you know, being put on, <laughs> you know, tried and killed. He starts a new court after the first one's disbanded on, on November 25th. And this is formed to investigate people still in prison for witchcraft. because They still got a lot of people in jail uh, who haven't been, you know, killed yet, haven't been hanged. And, uh, but then this time with the new court, no more spectral evidence. They're done with the spectral ev- evidence, finally. Uh, the new court is again headed by William Stoughton, you know, Chief Justice. And he tries five more cases in January 1693. Uh, five people who have been indicted but not tried in September. Sarah Buckley, Margaret Jacobs, Rebecca Jacobs, Mary Whitridge, uh, Job Tukey, all found not guilty. And then grand juries are, are held for other suspects uh, still remaining in jail. Charges uh, were dismissed against most of them, but 16 more people were indicted and tried. And then three of those were found guilty. Elizabeth Johnson Jr., Sarah Ward- Wardwell, and Mary Post. And then when Stoughton uh, wrote the warrants for the execution of these three, um, old Saudi uh, loved himself some witches. He loved going after witches. Then Governor Phipps issued pardons, spared their lives, and ended the madness. Then this court is also done. Finally, it's over. Uh, but despite being over, uh, many people involved, like Cotton Mather, that reverend, uh, would believe that the devil and the witches had indeed infected their community until the, until the day they died. Uh, most, though, did realize, too late for the victims, just how crazy and out of hand things had gotten. Uh, following the trials and executions, many involved, like Judge Samuel uh, Seawall, publicly confessed error and guilt. On January 14, 1697, the general court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching. Because of the tragedy in Salem Village, in 1702, the court declared the trials were unlawful. And in 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and good names of those accused and granted 600 pounds restitution to the heirs. Whoops. Sorry about the whole witch thing, everybody. Uh, <laughs> whoa, that was, that was nuts. How does, how, how does 600 pounds sound for the loss of your wife and mom and destruction of your reputation permanently? 
you know, everyone, everyone makes mistakes. Don't, don't cry over smelt milk. That's what I say. Don't weep over hanged witches. I, I mean, uh, people, uh, you know, thought, thought to be witches, but then, uh, later proven to be innocent. Don't, don't weep. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave the 600 pounds here on the table. I'm just gonna show myself out. And then finally, in 1957, more than 250 years later, Massachusetts formally apologizes for the events of 1692, and that brings an end to this time suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. So what happened, right? Why did it happen? Did anything actually supernatural go down in Salem at the closing of the 17th century? Well, you know, it's open to interpretation, as things always are of that nature, you know, things of the supernatural. You know, just like the supernatural uh, has never been scientifically proven to exist, you also can't disprove it. Uh, did some evil force affect those first girls in 1692 and set off the trials? Did the devil himself get the Puritans to kill each other and turn against their own community? I mean, maybe, sure. You know, if you believe in the devil, that sounds like, you know, exactly like what he'd do. I think it probably was a devil, you know? I think when something goes wrong or something bad happens you don't understand or scares you, makes you think too hard, I think it's best to blame the devil. Time Suck has a devil. I haven't talked about it because I didn't want to scare you, but every time I've mispronounced a word or, you know, every time I've said something you didn't like, every time I took an angle on a topic that you didn't care for, it wasn't me, all right? It wasn't me. I, I hate to blame others. I like taking responsibility, but none of my mistakes have been my fault. It was the Time Suck devil every time, the great Lucifina. Yeah, you probably haven't heard about her, but Lucifina is the sister of Lucifer. I'm sad to say she lives in the world of time suck. Yeah. You may have seen her yourself when, when listening. She looks like a little like Angelina Jolie, circa 2001, kind of like the Lara Croft, you know, Tomb Raider look. A little like uh, 2005, Rosario Dawson from Sin City. Kind of a merge of those two. And she's always wearing fishnets uh, or maybe in boots, you know, like a black miniskirt, maybe, maybe ripped jeans and a white t-shirt with no bra, something else, you know, hot. She has a devil tail, a uh, pitchfork, uh, horns, or sometimes a gun, uh, f- vampire fangs. You know, and she's always saying stuff like, don't bother fact-checking that, Dan. How about you take a break and jerk off for a little bit? Gosh, get out, get away from me, Lucifina. You know, don't edit that timeline, Dan. Make yourself a big sandwich. Turn on Netflix. Maybe take a nap. Back. Be gone, Lucifina. You know, uh, genome is pronounced genome, Dan. You know that it is. And I'm always like, damn it, damn it, Lucifina. Damn you and your sexy legs. Nimrod, give me the strength to finish my research. Give me the strength to record this episode. Give me the fortitude to resist her devil charms. And then my wife will walk in and be like, who the fuck are you talking to? And yeah, Lizzie does talk salty like that, like a sailor. And I'm like, Lucifina is trying to ruin this week's episode. And my wife is like, did Lucifina tell you to take your pants off? Did Lucifina give you a devil boner? Yes! Yes! Damn it, Lucifina. Seriously, though. Uh, I don't personally believe in a real devil, so I, so I doubt that was the reason behind the witcher. You can believe that if you'd like. I can't disprove it. Uh, I think some type of illness affected uh, the, those initial girls, and then I think a culture of religious paranoia led those girls to believe that the devil and the witches were behind their illness. I mean, the family doctor told them as much. <laughs> told them it was, you know, the work of Satan. And then I think that they were encouraged to point out uh, which witch, you know, which witch, uh, which witch did it. Uh, and then they threw some random names out, and then shit went just full crazy from there and spiraled out of control. Such a powerful example of how religion, uh, you know, or for that matter, any type of belief in supernatural, should never be allowed to enter the court of law. I mean, if you want to swear in a Bible, fine. But you shouldn't get to open the Bible or any other religious text or any other kind of supernatural spiritual text and interpret its, you know, passages as, you know, evidence. Because, you know, religious interpretation uh, of that which can't be scientifically uh, proven, you know, in a trial-type setting, is historically proven uh, to be a good recipe for outrageous abuse. You know, see the Inquisition. 
But, but again, that's just what I think. There is another interesting theory for a super or a, excuse me, a non-supernatural origin of the Salem witch trials that we're going to look at. Uh, but first, what do angry morons think about the Salem witch trials? Huh? What are they? What are they up to? Let's find out. Let's check in with some idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. Shortly after searching Salem witch trials on YouTube, I found a video called "A Real Salem Witch Debunks Misconceptions," and my devil boner became rock hard. Anytime you come across a video with real witch in title, right, in the title, oh, that's gold. There's, there's idiot gold in them thou comment threads. Uh, the video was made and posted by Newsy and features a host walking around Salem with the self-described witch, Terry Culgren. And Terry wants to make it clear that witches don't eat, bird, or <laughs> eat birds, eat kids, and that witches, uh, you know, don't believe in or even, you know, definitely don't worship the devil. She says witches have two rules, do it by will and harm none. And that's basically all she says. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty short video, but it is long enough to fire up some other witches. Second comment down is from user Red Snake, uh, who types, I don't understand why Wiccan witches always try to represent the rest of the witches around the world. Most of the other witches that I encounter believe in the devil. Not all witches worship him. There's many kinds. But to say that witches don't follow him is not true. She should only speak regarding her Wiccan ways, but not represent all witches. You know, Red Snake, I think, I think about that a lot, too. So much. I, I just find myself often wondering, why do Wiccan witches get to fucking speak on behalf of all the witches? No. No, I've never thought of that. Because uh, I don't give a shit about witches. Uh, Red Snake clearly does, and apparently encounters a lot of them. No, you don't. No, you do not. You do not encounter a lot of witches. You encounter a lot of dramatic teenage girls, maybe, in chat rooms, on the web, you know, on YouTube, Reddit, who like to pretend they have magical powers and cast spells and make potions. Uh, if you are a witch and you're listening, I dare you to cast some spells upon me. Because I know some people think they're witches. Get together. Get, and, I know some, and I know some people define witches as just being like a, basically an herbalist. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about you who think you're part of the Dark Lord. Fuck it. I dare you. I dare you to bring me down. Do it. Focus all your dark energy. I, w- I want you to do it. So send me emails telling me when I'm going to die, right, by your witch spell. Please, I'm, please do that. I want you to do it so when the day passes and nothing happens, I can fucking mock you for other people's entertainment value. There is no witch working with Satan. There's no master of the dark arts witch out there. It's nonsense. At least that's what I very strongly believe. But many don't, many don't agree with me. People like user standing perfectly still who immediately chimes in and replies to Red Snake with, Red Snake is correct. Well, you know, I guess there you go. Maybe I was wrong. Red Snake and standing perfectly still, you know, they've decided that Wiccans don't speak for all witches and that most witches do in, in fact believe and or worship the devil. Uh, user Agnes J- uh, Jacobson adds, many traditional witches worship slash work with some form of devil though this deity slash spirit may go under different names and be derived from different traditions. Some witches work with the Christian devil, some with an older, more pagan deity. I know some who work with the devil figure they call the old one. Right? Do you? Do you know all this stuff? You know that these people are working with these demons? You fucking moron. I love how Agnes just casually states that, <laughs> that there's, you know, there's people not only worshiping the devil, but they're working with them. They're, they're working with them, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, Agnes and this other two are exactly the kind of people who, had they lived in Salem Village in 1692, would be in the courtroom crying out, hang them, hang the witches, fight the devil and hang the witches. Uh, and then, un- unfortunately, Red Snake argues for a long time with someone who has removed their comments, or had them removed, damn it, a witch fight, lost internet history. But I'm sure I can find another witch fight, so I press on, and here it is. User Nate Suzia writes, I am a, w- <laughs> I am witch slash warlock myself. Mm-hmm, I bet you are. I've been practicing witchcraft for almost two years. 
And it is a wonderful practice. I'm serious. I'm actually Wiccan. Okay, you're a warlock. That's great. Now, would you mind ringing up my order? I just I just want to grab my burger and my fries, and I want to get out of here. Okay, buddy? Uh, user FlashFox underscore 420 is surprised at Nate's declaration, adding, I'm surprised. As a witch myself, I've done the year-and-a-day practice, but I'm surprised you are accepting of the term warlock, as witches find it an offensive term. Yeah, buddy, you fucked up with the warlock. <laughs> uh, they were the ones who gave witchcraft a bad name. Oh, and we got a witch fight on our hands. What the fuck, Nate? What's up to the war- warlock, buddy? Man, it's not cool. It pisses the witches off. Got some pissed witches. Uh, warlocks, man. That's, that's who got witches in trouble. I knew it. I knew it in the first place. Or did they? User Naya Cottrell points out, a warlock is a male and a female is a witch. Well, oh, well, there you go. So maybe it's not people who mess things up. But then user Talon Wingdancer Adds nothing to the conversation. I mean, I have been practicing the craft for a little over 30 years. Mommy Dearest was a high priestess. I didn't make up that, Mommy Dearest. That's his words. And initiated me into her coven at age 14. Prior to my initiation, I attended the vast majority of all the coven workings. Anyway, just because mom didn't want to have to find a babysitter while she was in the circle. My mom crossed over five years ago, but was very angry that I did not have a, my own coven. Or part of someone else's coven. Who, who has time for that? Not me. Not me. I prefer to be a witch without a coven. A witch without a coven. I've, that's one of the saddest sentences. Someone is, uh, when they're talking about that's how they lead their life. I guess just, you know, I guess you're just someone who dresses up all in black and hangs out alone in your basement with your, with your cats. User Carmen isn't okay with Naya's warlock definition. Naya Cottrell, she's, she says, no, witch is a gender neutral term and applies to cunning folk. Warlock at its root means oathbreaker and is a witch, male or female, or who betrays their coven. Well, user Jay Garrison is cool with Nate Suzea's original warlock definition. Carmen, actually, I've been a practicing witch for 31 years. Fuck. Pow! And the original Scandinavian Icelandic meaning of warlock is spirit caller. So by that definition, all witches are warlocks. So take that, Carmen. Why don't you fuck, why don't you shove that up your witch ass, okay? Fucking, you don't know what you're talking about. I see your word derivative type argument and i raise you scandinavian folklore nonsense i love it i love it when people debate about subjective fucking gibberish you know just actually real witches are not real you weirdos why not argue over exactly what a leprechaun looks like you know just actually there are no they're no more than two feet tall and they never weigh more than 17 pounds (laughs) you show me an 18 pound leprechaun and i'll kick a centaur in his horse dick Okay, and now I want to end on some adorable idiocy. Uh, some cute, innocent, teenage idiocy. Uh, user Andrea's Life says, I'm 13 and I practice witchcraft. I went there last week and I paid my respects to those 19 people. You know, talking about Salem. Well, uh, first off, Andrea, adorable. Adorable. I know that comes across as patronizing, and that's because I'm being patronizing intentionally. Uh, second, you did not pay respects to witches because the 19 people hanged in Salem were not witches. They were just Puritans who had insane confessions forced out of them by other insane Puritans. No one was riding around in a room, right? No one had secret meetings with the devil in a meadow. It was, not, it was a kangaroo court where they used shit like dreams as evidence. Look, if you want to call yourself a witch, and by witch you mean someone who believes in nature and herbal remedies, man, go for it. If you're, you know, you're into being Wiccan or Druid, who cares? 
Great. Good for you. If it makes you happy, seriously, I'm not even being sarcastic. Good for you. Uh, you know, if you believe in no God and the power of man, you believe you should indulge in pleasure and be a hedonist and, you know, get all the pleasure you can out of life, but you're not hurting anybody and that's what you think being Satan, satanic is, whatever. I personally, don't, I don't care at all. But I, but I don't think that's what these people are doing on these threads. I think these are people who, uh, they've just taken goth too far. They've taken it to a ridiculous level. They think they're actually talking to the, the, the devil. They think they're actually making deals to make them, their lives feel more meaningful. Get the fuck out. Don't confuse horror movies with documentaries. I remember kids in high school who thought that they, if they read the right book, they could perform spells. Uh, what I don't remember is ever seeing a, a spell performed, ever. Highly doubt that shit's ever happened, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll disappear into some portal into hell, some portal place to take me out by a real witch working with the devil. Maybe Cotton Mather was right the whole time. Maybe we should all be listening to the wise words of YouTube commenters. Maybe those of us who don't are the real idiots of the internet. Okay, so I mentioned earlier uh, an interesting scientific explanation for what may have kicked off the witch trials, and I actually referenced it in the uh, MK Ultra bonus episode. Uh, it's ergot poisoning. In 1982, researcher and historian Dr. Mary K. Mastosian, uh, an associate professor at the University of Maryland, wrote that the trials of 1692 were the worst outbreak of witch persecution in American history. When Governor Phipps of Massachusetts ordered a general reprieve the following spring, about 150 accused witches were still locked up, and they were finally released. The idea that ergot was to blame was originally proposed in 1976 by Linda R. Caparell, uh, a graduate student in psychology at the University of California, Santa Barbara. She argued that symptoms displayed by the children thought to initially be bewitched, fits, and complaints of being pricked, bitten, for example, were typical of ergotism. Visions reported by the victims, she added, were strikingly similar to those produced by the hallucinogen LSD, a chemical derivative of ergot. And again, if you listen to MK Ultra Time Suck, you're already familiar with ergot poisoning. Now, to be fair, this is just a theory, and plenty of historians don't agree. Noting that the girls did not reportedly experience nausea and vomiting, other symptoms of ergotism, and some historians feel the afflicted girls were enacting the role of, uh, you know, like demons, as the role was commonly understood in their day. They basically were responding to social cues such as convulsing in mass when the uh, accused entered the room. Like they were just expected to do that, so they did. But Dr. Mistosian feels like it was more than that. Uh, she feels, she said, I have concluded after examining the Salem court transcript, the ec ecological situation and recent literature on ergotism, that the objections raised to ergotism in this case are not valid. The witchcraft affair, she adds, may have been part of a largely unrecognized American health problem. Occasional cold, damp periods in coastal lowlands, she believes, allowed rye to become infected with ergot. Amongst the, you know, among the symptoms of severe ergotism is formication, a feeling that ants are crawling under your, your skin. The victim may also suffer coldness of the extremities, spasms of limbs, tongues, facial muscles. Uh, in severe cases, epileptic seizures, partial paralysis, and coma are followed by death. And then she said animals suffering from convulsive ergotism may behave wildly, make loud, distressed noises, stop lactating, and die. And several cows and three people who experienced convulsions did die during the 1692 outbreak. Remember the woman accused of applying witchcraft to a pig? Yeah, maybe that maybe that pig was convulsing. Maybe that pig had ergotism. Uh, the suggestion that the afflicted teenage girls in Salem Village were faking their symptoms, or as others have suggested, role playing in the presence of social cues, cannot alone explain the symptoms of the or cannot explain sorry the symptoms of the animal victims, which is a great point, right? Like like the girls could respond to social pressure. The pig is going to be like, well, I'm, I think I think this is how you're supposed to act when a demon gets in you. Uh, she added that the rye bread was a staple of Salem Village residents' diets in 1692. 
In Salem and other towns of Essex County, Massachusetts, 24 of 30 purported victims of bewitchment in 1692 suffered from convulsions and the sensations of being pinched, pricked, or bitten. She asserted that they may not have reported other symptoms such as nausea because those were unexpected in witchcraft victims. So maybe they were, you know, they were nauseous, but but those documenting their symptoms just didn't think that was important to note because it didn't fit the uh, witchcraft narrative. In the American colonies at that time, according to Dr. Mistosian, rye bread was a dietary staple and the crop was vulnerable to ergot from wits of tree rings. Formed during that period, she found that the growing season in eastern New England was abnormally cool in 1690, 91, and 92, which increased the risk of rye bread becoming contaminated with ergot. Diaries kept in Boston during the intervening winters showed that they were very cold. Households chiefly stricken by bewitchment were those closest to marshy land. Coincidence? or further proof of ergotism. New Englanders believed in witchcraft both before and after 1692, she wrote, yet in no other year was there such severe persecution of witches. So basically, Dr. Mistosian uh, believes that ergot poisoning combined with the Puritans' religious beliefs created kind of like the perfect storm for the Salem witch trials. And I gotta say, that sounds good to me. That sounds like that's the best explanation I came across on the web. If you've got a better theory, send it my way. Uh, send it to bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com for a future update. And we'll get to today's Time Sucker update soon. But first, top five takeaways. Time Suck Top Five Takeaways. Number one. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. In 1692, Puritans accused hundreds of Massachusetts residents of witchcraft, hanged 19 of them, killed one more by suffocating him with a board weighed down with stones. Number two. Spectral evidence was allowed during the Salem Witch Trials which was witness testimony that the accused person's spirit or spectral shape appeared to the witness in a dream. Wow. Thank God dreams are no longer allowed in court or we'd we'd all be convicted of some weird shit. I find you guilty of turning into a giant spider and then changing back to a human and then speaking in Spanish, even though I I thought you wanted to speak in Italian and then you were there, but like, ah, like you, like you weren't there. And then you, then you just popped out of nowhere and you're like, who took Marchitos? And you did all of it. Number three. The Puritans were an awful, terrible group of quarrelsome, hateful people who fled England because of religious persecution. And if they acted in England at all, like they did in America, those Quaker tongue nailing Catholic and everyone else hating witch hanging assholes deserved to be persecuted. Number four, witches were believed to, among other things, fly around on broomsticks for secret meetings with the devil, steal penises, and mess barns up a bit. What a strange collection of talents. It's almost as if witch stuff is utter nonsense. Number five, new info. No witch in Salem was burned at the stake. This is a popular myth that shows up all over online. But as you know now, the Salem witches were all hanged when convicted of witchcraft. And of course, uh, there, there was the dude, you know, pressed to death with stones for not admitting he was a witch. Historically, French witches were burned and English witches were hanged. And when three people were convicted of witchcraft in the Channel Islands, islands between England and France in 1617, to appease both traditions, the three were hanged and then burned. Seriously. Time suck. Top five takeaways. So I hope you like that uh, Salem witch bonus suck. Gotta say, that may have been my favorite episode to research so far. Uh, Definitely up there with Jim Jones and Houdini uh, for my fave. I don't know. I guess it was Scientology. A lot of faves. A lot of faves. That's one of them. Uh, next bonus episode will uh, will actually be uh, the suck sucking itself. We're going meta. Bunch of you have written over the life of the show asking me about my uh, my story. How did I get into stand up? Kind of like how you know where did I come from as far as growing up? Did I always want to be a comic? Uh, how, how did I decide on time suck? 
Um, yeah, and I think just, you know, it's a thousand uh, a review episode. Feels like the, the show's been around long enough now to kind of explain where it came from and who I am. And uh, I wouldn't do that on a, on a normal normal Monday show. So I'll do it on the bonus, you know, so you can you can skip out if you're not interested, not going to be offended. Um, and then, you know, check it out if you are. Understand a little bit more about why I'm doing this and what it is and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a little little autobiography, I guess. Uh, thanks to Time Suckers Crystal and Terry via Facebook, Max uh, Kuznetsov, uh, Patrick Carroll, Brendan Rogers, and to all of other uh, you other Time Suckers who I may have missed and who voted online to pick Salem's uh, Witch Trials, uh, mainly on Instagram and at Time Suck Podcast there. So thanks to uh, those of you who support the show by using that Amazon button on timesuckpodcast.com to your shopping. Uh, you can also check out the tour dates on the site. Just link to them from there. And big thanks to all of you who have purchased one of the new Time Suck hats. So proud of those. Send a pic of you wearing one, and uh, we'll post it at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram. And uh, this Monday on the Suck, just a couple days away, Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt's rancher, hunter, president, rough rider, professional yo-yo, record setter, Amazon explorer, big game hunter, Native American hater, puppeteer, Dude who decided not to let a bullet to the chest stop him from giving a very long speech. Two of those things uh, are not true. Find out which ones. Listen to the episode. Uh, He was a complicated, sometimes terrible, sometimes extraordinary man. Uh, You don't get your face on Mount Rushmore being the dude hanging out in the back cubicle of the office, uh, keeping to himself, you know, kind of guy who retires. And people in the office don't even know he's retired until six months after he's gone. That's That's not how you do it. You have to leave a mark. You have to leave a mark on the world, have to do some shit, and Teddy Roosevelt sure as hell did that. Guy added uh, more cool stories to his life in a year than most people do in an entire lifetime. And his suck is time suck, guaranteed to be exciting, fascinating, titillating, other words. Uh, and now, time sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Okay, a lot of 9-11 updates from Monday's episode. Uh, I'm, I'm dedicating this segment basically to two of the lengthier ones. And this is, you know, both regarding like the, the inside job kind of uh, conspiracy. But, that I, I, didn't, I, I don't want to say I glossed over it, but I, but, I, but I clearly, if you listen to the episode, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, and, and the first one today is from Time Sucker uh, Imre Sestak. I believe that's a Romanian name, maybe, a, uh, maybe Hungarian. I uh, hope I didn't totally butcher it. Uh, and Imre wrote in saying... Hey, Sucky McSuckface. I like it so far. Like the attitude. Uh, thank you for your latest episode on 9-11. I really enjoy your podcast and share the same curiosity for things that I don't know much about. Love it. Love uh, who you people are. I am in line with you on the conspiracy thing where I don't believe all the conspiracy theories that I hear. I listen and evaluate. Most of them are dumb as shit, and I write them off. On 9-11, I'm torn. I completely agree that if it was just oil we were going after, we can make up some stupid-ass reason and go invade Iraq. However, I think it's deeper. I find it easier as a citizen to give up certain freedoms in order to feel safer. After 9-11, we all threw up our hands and went, do what you need to do as long as we stay safe. I'll deal with TSA shit as long as they don't blow up my plane. Could it be possible that 9-11 happened not just because we needed oil, but also because the government needed to justify setting up all these new agencies for surveillance on its own people? I just think of the AUMF, Authorized Use of Military Force, and how much power that gives to one person. The U.S. government can legally detain people without a trial as long as they feel that person is a threat to the nation. Anything can be justified. Listen to the 60-word sentence Radiolab podcast. It's awesome. Uh, This all happened because the law was presented by riding the emotional wave of 9-11. It's possible that the U.S. government saw that cyber is the way of the future and needed to increase jurisdiction in the cyber world. 
Maybe 9-11 was meant to lay the groundwork for the laws passed to set up how much power the government really has. I have no time, nor am I interested in digging deep into the details of 9-11. <laughs> I love the honesty uh, there, Imre. <laughs> and totally get it. As much as I research, I uh, always wish I had time to look deeper uh, into subjects and into more subjects. It never ends. It just never ends. Okay, and then Emory continues, uh, it happened. We need to remember the heroes and move on. I just take a step back and see how much changed. After 9-11, the U.S. government gained a hell of a lot more power, and the U.S. citizens lost a hell of a lot more freedom, or a hell of a lot of freedom. Th- they That may uh, uh, just be a thought. Please don't make... Bojangles attack me. Uh, well, no attack, Emory. Uh, Bojangles fucking loves a questioner, uh, except questioners who happen to be communists. Uh, Bojangles and Michael motherfucking McDonald have real hard-ons for communists. A lot of hard-on talk in this episode, by the way. I do realize that. Uh, anyway, I, I understand your concern. The government did give itself far more surveillance and security power for 9-11. We did lose a certain amount of freedom, and we haven't gotten that back. That's all proven. But what the big question to me is, is did the government create 9-11 as an opportunity to expand its power, or did it use 9-11 as an excuse to expand its power, or was it necessary to expand its power after 9-11 to keep us safe? You know, and, and that's probably not a, a popular thought, but let's just say for argument's sake that uh, no new security measures were enacted because of 9-11. And then let's also say for argument's sake that in the years since, 10 more planes were hijacked and destroyed. Several other towers were reduced to ruins and numerous other large-scale terrorist attacks hit the United States. Would we want to go back in time if we were able to and increase security and lose freedom to prevent all of that from happening? It's a tricky issue. It really is. Uh, Yes, we've lost privacy and a certain amount of freedom, but how many other attacks have been thwarted? None? One? Many? We don't really know. The research is inconclusive about this, and there's a chance our government ha- government hasn't told us about every attack it's prevented, because uh, maybe that would uh, uh, increase the risk of more attacks. We just don't know. It's so complicated. It's a never-ending argument, you know. And 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 that how much freedom is it okay to sacrifice for public safety? I don't know. I don't know if there is an answer to that. I guess it just comes down to uh, you kind of know it when you see it, and and does it feel like we've lost too much already for you? For me, uh. God, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. I, I lean towards saying that I, I don't think we have, you know, like on the uh, on the web privacy. I guess there's still like things like the dark web and stuff you could use if you want that are legal. Uh, I, I don't like knowing that any of my phone conversations could be monitored. But at the same time, I'm not using any phone conversations to plan anything nefarious. So it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. I don't know. It, it, it's a tricky issue. Is it possible the government really did create 9-11 to push through a lot of new agenda? I mean, I guess it is. It's possible. I just have a hard time personally believing that uh, that they're smart enough to get away with that. And that's not a knock on politicians, and that's not a knock on the Bush administration. I, I, I just don't think anyone is smart enough to pull off something that insidious, uh, that large in scope, Something that would require the involvement of so many people of so many different skill sets and then to keep all those people quiet, uh, maybe, I guess. I know some people do claim to have learned things. Whenever I see see that stuff, I mean, generally, I, I'm just like, eh, I don't know about this. And, and again, I know there's so much more out there. I mean, truly, you could spend a month just on that episode alone, which, as you know, doing this every week, I just – I don't have that much time. Um I guess I'll just have to allow for the fact that it's possible. I don't know. I certainly wasn't there. Our next and final update on this subject comes from Time Sucker Kevin Kelmer, who writes, Sir Suckerton, your show, I dig it. You are very thorough with your research, and I condone, condone you for that. Uh, I do try, Kevin. Uh, I, do, I do the best with, uh, I can with the time allotted uh, for sure. Uh, but, he says, I think due to the absurd amount of idiotic conspirators out there for this subject, you may have been misconstrued to some of the more uh, – regarding you know some of the more legitimate arguments about what happened on 9-11. Here are – 
few follow-up things I think you should look into and decide for yourself. From there, whatever you decide, to each their own, mother sucker. Uh, love the fact that you sent me uh, some info, Kevin. Much respect for that. And let's get into that. Uh, Kevin continues with, number one, there is a website called Rethink911.org. It's a nonprofit organization uh, where over 2,250 architects and engineers have signed the Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth petition. They have a short video on their website that explains more in detail about what they believe. Check it out. All right. So I did. I did check it out. I checked it out today. I watched the video uh, on their homepage, a YouTube video titled The Official Rethink 9-11 Video. Uh, Don't love the disabled comments on the video. Not sure why they would do that. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm sure they're going to get a lot of people trolling, but they could also get people maybe uh, adding to the discussion. I thought that was an odd choice. But anyway, the big point of contention in this video uh, discussed is the concept of free fall, which is uh, that, you know, when an object is falling unimpeded to the ground, you know, it, 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 it just goes at a, uh, scientifically determined rate. It just, it just drops very, very quickly. Like, like if you drop your car keys, put your hand out to your side, drop your car keys, they're just going to go straight down. There's not going to be like a, a change, like a jagged change and shifting in speeds back and forth. It just quickly accelerates and keeps accelerating until it hits, you know, the ground. And if it was high enough, it would accelerate to its critical mass. And then, you know, I think that's the right term. Sorry. I just kind of pulled that out of my butt. I remember from science, critical, critical velocity. I think that's probably better. Maybe that's there. Anyway, they feature some engineers and other experts who say that, that Building 7, the third smaller World Trade Center tower, to fall 9-11 fell at a rate of freefall, and they don't think it's possible to do that with 40,000 tons of structural steel in the building uh, unless the building is blown up. They contend that the only way for a building to fall in that particular way is with a controlled demolition, uh, not in a situation due essentially to the official report of office fire. They also discuss how firefighters that day noticed molten steel and contend that an office fire cannot burn hot enough to melt steel. And the video states that news outlets reported that the building collapsed an hour before it did. But then, uh, in evidence of this, they show a reporter saying uh, he's heard that Building 7 has collapsed or is collapsing. That, that's very different. So I'm, I'm, I, I am going to uh, have a bone to pick with that. I'm going to say that's normal reporting. You know, the building was engulfed in flames. They probably heard it look like it was going to collapse, and then they reported that. That, to me, is not indicative of anything. Uh, and, and then they show firefighters talking about how the whole building is about to blow up, and that this is also uh, evidence, uh, you know, of an inside job. I, no, I, I don't – I also disagree with that. Just based on the footage I watched and the way the firefighters were talking, it's like, yeah, it looks like it's going to blow up. Well, yeah, it's a fucking big, hot building. I mean, that, that's, they're just calling it like they see it, as opposed to, I feel, you know, having some kind of inside information. Um they also point to uh, BBC reporters reporting that the building fell in perfect detail 20 minutes before it actually fell, but then don't show that footage so clearly they did not report in perfect detail, or that would be a very compelling argument. Uh, yeah, people just maybe heard that the building was falling or, or ha- had fallen and report that. You know, to me, that this is all just like basic human error. Things are crazy. A lot of things are happening real fast. They're doing the best job they can to be, you know, like the with competition and news today to be the first one to get the story out. None of that felt like uh, uh, proof of anything to me. Dan Rather, you know, said it looked like a demolition. Uh, all right. Is he a demolition expert? No. <laughs> and then uh, some professors said that the, the way the building came down convinced her that well-placed explosives had been planted there for weeks, if not months. That kind of bothered me. Why, why did they have to be there for weeks or months? Why couldn't it have been the day before? Why couldn't they have, you know, put it there? I don't know. Maybe it's just something I don't know. This video does make me, you know, question a few things, you know. Um, one question I have is if it's obvious, if it's so obvious to the engineers on this video as it appears to be and to physics professors, then, then why don't all engineers and physics uh, professors, et cetera, 
believe it was an inside job. Like if it's that obvious, why wasn't there like a proper court case or, or anything? I don't know. I don't know. And this is this is for you to kind of watch and decide if you're that curious. And, and with Building Seven, uh, what about this conspiracy angle? What if it what if it was an inside job? But what if the explosives were planted after the attack? To control the building's fall when they knew it was going to fall anyway, in some form, to to actually save lives by keeping the building from crashing into other buildings and killing even more people. That's just a thought. That's just a thought I came up with on my own. What if the government did actually uh, want to blow it up and, and, and knew that that would kill some people, but also knew that that would save more lives than it took? Uh, and in a situation like that, maybe they, they figured the public wouldn't understand, and and but it was the right thing to do. Again, Total, total just random speculation, just a thought. Uh, and again, on all this kind of conspiracy stuff, you, you, you just got to have – you can watch a lot of videos like this one of people saying, oh my god, it's so obvious that it is a demolition. But you can also find other videos online as I saw that say like, nope, uh, there is no way. It's insulting to assume that it was and, – and you find engineers on the other side. There, there really is both sides. So it just comes down to what do you want to believe. Uh, Kevin continues with there is a documentary called Zeitgeist and to save you from watching the entire documentary, although I do recommend it, I'll include a link to the part about 9-11, which explains the NORAD, North American Aerospace Defense Command. Uh, and then it has been doing training for this exact situation for years before the attack, which goes against your opinion that the Air Force didn't react because they didn't know what to do. Uh, yeah, and that is uh, – yeah, based on the episode, I said that um, that some stuff I read said, like, why didn't, like, fighter jets get to these planes faster before they got to the towers when they were alerted earlier that something was going on, that they were hijacked, and that uh, – you know, that there wasn't proper training for that, that actually they were training for things more across the Atlantic. Okay, okay, so so I did watch this, and honestly, uh, <laughs> again, I'm not trying to be confrontational. I, I just didn't like the way the information was presented. So sensationalized. At one point, they show the explosion from the plane hitting the tower over and uh, – actually, they don't, they don't show the plane. They kind of make it look like it's just exploding, which I thought was a little deceitful too. Over and over and over and over like 10 times in a row. So I'm just going to take your word. That there, that there was training uh, for a scenario of this nature. Uh, I don't bump on that at all. Uh, however, when it's the first time it's happening for real, doing the exercise for real pro probably isn't going to happen uh, – like, like, like it's not going to happen like it did in training, like when you're doing it for the first time. Here's an analogy. Uh, take NFL players. I have Le'Veon Bell as one of my fantasy teams uh, – on, on one of my fantasy teams. He's my first-round pick, one of the best running backs in the NFL the past few years, but – he sat out training camp this year in a contract dispute, barely got a few practices in, practices in, in and looked, uh, you know, uh, really sharp in practice, but then super rusty in the game because of uh, the speed at which the game itself is actually played. And he fucked up my point, to point total, and he, and he wasn't in game shape. Son of a bitch. Uh, how, how dare he put his career before my fantasy team? But seriously, these, these pilots may have trained. They may have trained for this exact scenario. But when the scenario hits, they're still not in game shape because it's the first time the scenario hits. So I still think that's not indicative of, oh, uh, a definite conspiracy. I think that's just, again, human error. Okay, but that's just me. These are just my opinions. Back to Kevin. Uh, now, the other thing that made me want to swing Bojangles by the balls was that you said you don't think it was an inside job and it's the government – uh, could have made up any excuse in the world to go in there and get the oil they wanted. I think you're a little far-fetched on the total power we have in America but getting away from that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I, I probably do. Uh, there's a good poss possibility that maybe I overestimate our strength. Probably because I just enjoy imagining that we could fuck up whoever we want, whenever we want. Uh, that may be just wishful thinking created in a brain of mine, admittedly filled with uh, thoughts of vengeance. 
Okay, so Kevin continues, let's look at uh, why they would want to blow up the buildings. And he says the amount of people killed in the planes were 265, including the 19 terrorists, and 125 at the Pentagon. Do you really think starting a full-blown war for the last 15 years and spending a trillion dollars is worth that? We haven't done anything like that for the Boston Marathon bombing or any subsequent terror attacks. But if we account for the 300 or so that died inside the building upon impact, we'd be getting warmer. But I highly doubt it would be caused to go as far as we have in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, if we consider the 2,996 people killed and over 6,000 wounded in the attacks— we will be looking at a more serious event. So in relation to your reasoning that it doesn't matter if the planes hit the building or the buildings collapse, I completely disagree. Okay. So so your point uh, here, uh, very well articulated, Kevin. Um, but I feel like you have to admit, as I do, that, that this, this is all pure speculation. Just like I speculated that we could make up any reason we want to invade someone, you're speculating that a few hundred bodies is not enough to justify a war. But a few thousand is. Uh, you know, and, and again, both our sides on this is, you know, it's just rampant speculation. Like what, is, what is the number? Is it, is it a thousand? Is it 300? Is it, you know, 3000? I, I don't know. And then Kevin writes, war is an inevitable part of history. And it almost seems like there is never a time America is not in war. War is one of the most profitable operations in the world. So many private organizations are involved in each and every war. I will, I hope you are not ignorant enough to know that generals and admirals of the United States military may have ties uh, have many ties to the government officials and the investment of these private organizations of war, in which case they can use their power of rank to maximize their own personal gains through stocks and investments to the organizations involved in supplying wars. I am aware of that uh, for sure. There have always been war profiteers, and there is a military-industrial complex where there is much, much, much money to be made. And people did financially benefit greatly uh, from the events after 9-11, uh, from you know Iraq and from Afghanistan. But again, people benefit all the time from situations they didn't necessarily create. I, I don't doubt that military contractors made a lot of money in the second Gulf War or in Afghanistan. Of course they did. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they killed New Yorkers for the opportunity to do so. And, and again, I still kind of believe my original thought of, of they probably pushed uh, a little harder than necessary or maybe even made up the weapons of mass destruction. That I would buy. That they completely fabricated that to to start an unjust war, you know, and then morally justify it by toppling a sadistic regime and then also making a lot of money. That I, I'm way way more likely to go down that uh, wormhole. But but I don't know. It just maybe maybe again and again it's just personal. Maybe it's just me. I just don't think that a that the government would do something that horrific to its citizens just on that scale. Uh, you know, at that time uh, period. And I just, maybe I just don't want to believe it. I don't know. Uh, I, I do appreciate um, your, your curiosity and dedication to other possibilities though, Kevin. Very, very, very cool, man. That's what the suck is all about. You know, pushing each other to open our minds and learn more. Uh, this kind of shit is, is partly why I'm building the time suck app, man. I'm, I'm going to have more details as time moves on, but I want to have a message board platform within this app. That's only for time suckers, a place where you can share ideas like this, not just with me, but the entire time suck community, because there's so many updates that come in every week. I can't possibly get to all of them. But I would like to share them with you, and I think the app is the perfect place to do that. And then, you know, I don't need to – I don't, and I don't have time. I don't have time to monitor all these discussions or, or, frankly, to be totally honest, you know, always the interest for each one. But that doesn't mean that you guys shouldn't, you know. You guys can, you know, start off threads of your own and, and start them with uh, – around people with uh, a similar curiosity. And that way avoid the, the trolls we make fun of on Idiot to the Internet. Okay. So can't wait. Uh, he says – Kevin says, can't wait to hear the Salem Witch Trials. Suck the shit out of those witches. Um, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I got to back up. Kevin ends with this. Now, now I know this isn't backed with extensive research, and I apologize because I don't have time in a day to research as extensively as you. I think it is hard to turn your head to what happened out there on 9-11 if you read into it a little more. Uh, I hope I have shed some light on you, and I hope I won't be classified as another idiot of the internet. Can't wait for those Salem witch trials. Suck the shit out of those witches. Well, I did suck the shit out of those witches, uh, and you're not an idiot, and you did raise a lot of great points that made me really think about things. Uh, you know, just because I didn't necessarily change my original opinion doesn't mean I didn't think a lot about what you said. And you did bring up a lot of points and other time suckers if you're listening. You know, it, it is it is an interesting kind of wormhole to go down if you have time and watch some of these videos. So thank you, Kevin. I uh, hope you enjoyed those witches. And, and now get ready to suck Teddy R on Monday. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Have a good weekend, everybody. Keep telling your friends about the suck. Nothing spreads a suck like word of mouth. I'm doing my best to promote it, but it's uh, definitely hard to do much marketing when you're kind of a one-man band with a small team of very generous volunteers. Help me. Uh, uh, but definitely no corporate muscle behind the suck. No big podcast office with a dedicated team of employees. Just a curious dude, some curious volunteers, and you curious mother suckers out there. Really hoping to be able to hire an employee when the app drops and turn time suck into an even more robust uh, business. Make it that much better. All right. Have a good weekend for real. Stay curious. Send positive thoughts to areas ravaged by the hurricanes. Don't ride a broomstick past a Puritan and keep on sucking. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.